In this episode, I'm going to try to bring together various feminist perspectives on hierarchy between the genders. In a previous episode, I briefly talked about gender and sex, the differences between the two, and also tried to establish that sex as a biological category is not very stable. We should keep this in mind any time we talk about men and women. Feminist works focus a lot on why there is largely a hierarchy between men and women, and this is something that has to do with patriarchy. Now we're going to what patriarchy is a little later. Um, now should we say that we cannot talk about the oppression of women because of patriarchy, because the category of woman is unstable? I wouldn't say that. We use language to try to communicate with each other, come up with terms that express our shared experiences, and facing oppression as women due to patriarchy is a collection of some of those experiences. We do this for political reasons, but we should always. always be conscious of how our language excludes people which also means and this is absolutely crucial that we also talk about differences amongst each other not all women suffer from patriarchy the same way or to the same extent and a recognition of these differences is very important really a lot of what we should be trying to do is of course to understand the oppression of women of sexual minorities but more importantly it is about the lack of dignity for certain aspects of human personality itself we try to talk about these issues by talking about the oppression of women yeah and we should try to say it more often than using women as a stable static category which it is clearly not and this is not just to say that gender and sex are unstable of course that's part of the issue but that identities are complex and no one can identify just as a woman we all have other identities that we also need to be aware of some that gives us power and some that takes power from us sometimes it can be much more productive to talk about patriarchy and those institutions of societies that remain patriarchal listen i have to say here that patriarchy is a social system that harms everyone regardless of their gender That's the idea that feminist thought has grappled with across many years. In fact, what has been considered first wave, second wave feminism and so on, these are simply labels, labels that are also points of debate. In fact, what are considered to be the first movements have been spearheaded across the world by the privileged, mostly upper middle class white and upper caste women. But what this means is that many of the demands of women from marginalized backgrounds they have actually been ignored and not been made part of the mainstream discussion which is why it is important to look at feminist perspectives from various groups of society bell hooks in her book feminist theory goes into this issue in some detail that the concerns for white feminists has been to consolidate all women together under this category of women but that really cannot happen because like i said the oppression faced by women across society is quite varied This difference needs to be acknowledged. We cannot say that there are as many feminisms as there are feminists. Not really. Feminism as a political ideology cannot just be a personal battle, which is why we have to continuously revisit our philosophy. Bell Hooks quotes a radical feminist in her book, quote, "Movement women have always been turned off by the media's necessity to create celebrities and superstars." This goes against our basic philosophy. We cannot relate to women in our ranks towering over us with privilege, prestige and fame. We are not struggling for the benefit of one woman or for one group of women. 
वी आर डीलिंग विद इश्यूज दैट कंसर्न ऑल वुमेन एंड कोट आई हैव टू रेकमेंड हियर दैट बेल हुक्स इज बुक इज वन ऑफ द मोस्ट इजी टू अंडरस्टैंड एंड वेल रिटर्न बुक्स अबाउट फेमिनिज्म इन एनी केस यू सिंपली कैन नॉट बी अ फेमिनिस्ट इफ यू आर ऑल्सो नॉट एंटी कास्ट एंटी रेस because both of these structures and many others contribute to the oppression of people and women specifically as well now how men suffer under patriarchy is also a part of feminist concerns especially men who face oppression due to caste and class as well but that can be a whole discussion by itself for now i will focus on femininity family and the economics of it all now to start do i need to prove that there is inequality in india today Well there is a gender pay gap that overall women make less money compared to men. The literacy rate for women is still far lower than for men. For men, women also spend way more time on average doing unpaid work regardless of whether they're employed or not. This is basically domestic work that uh, women are uh, doing. But this is more true for upper caste, upper class, middle class households. In some other households men help out with the housework much more. the number of women in the labor force generally is much lower and it has actually been decreasing now this last metric is actually a bit tricky because the right to work is not a feminist concern for all members of society in fact it is it would be most likely a concern for those who are the most privileged women the rest kind of have to work but the pay gap is glaring it implies many things that women apparently choose jobs that are low paying some even claim that it is because women take maternity leave and so on moreover something like emotional labor that women are generally expected to do um, doesn't really quite get included in what they are being paid for there is a previous episode about a book about this um now all of these are macro perspectives you know large scale national level and there's a lot of analysis that has gone into understanding how these inequalities these inequalities have come to be they are also very complicated For instance, if I say that women are not equally represented in the parliament in India, um, that this is this is true. I mean, women are forty-eight percent of the population, but the parliament does not have as many women. But a majority of the women who are there are upper caste. So clearly, even within this category of women, already an unstable one, there are other axes of inequality as well. In any case, I'm going to start somewhere. To start with. I think we have to talk about the exploitation of women's labor and particularly under capitalism. And for this, we have to talk about Marx. Now Karl Marx wrote a lot about capitalism, but he described this capitalism as a mode of production, which simply means a way of producing things. Stay with me here, this is a bit complicated. Mode of production is a structure that includes many things. So what are these things? It includes products things that can be sold in exchange for some other thing practically everything we see around us are products it also includes the people who make these products the process through which they are paid the tools they use to make these products and even the technical knowledge that is required to make these products it includes all the materials required to make it including land in a more abstract sense it also includes government and law Now for example if i owned a factory that made tables i might need someone to sell me wood so i'll find a mill that can sell me some this relationship that i have built is also part of the mode of production 
Now you might think, doesn't this include everything in the world? And to a certain extent, this is somewhat true. It's a very unique arrangement of all of these things that will lead to a kind of mode of production, one of which is capitalism. Now, the aim of a mode of production can be varied. It may be that all of these things that I talked about, they come together to make products for kings or for a ruling nobility. It aim, its aims may be to make things to satisfy gods. But for capitalism, the aim is to expand capital. And what does this mean? Say I'm a capitalist and I have a factory where workers are making tables. I give my workers a wage, I take the tables that they make and I sell them. When I sell them, I get more money than it took me to pay my workers, to buy the wood, to have a running factory, you know, to pay the electricity bills and stuff like that. If this happens, I am getting a surplus value on my production. And the aim of capitalism has been achieved. I am making profit. I am simplifying this greatly. Um, now let's take a look at the workers who I am extracting this surplus value from. We might think, okay, the wage I pay my workers depends on how much I am selling my tables for. Quite simple, right? Not really. Actually, I can sell my table for as high as I want, especially if people are willing to pay for it. But I only need to pay my workers that much that they keep coming back to work for me. I, you could take some really overpriced products that you might own or know of. Clearly, they can be cheaper since cheaper alternatives do exist. But I still sell them at a high rate because I can. That said, the worker needs food, clothing, shelter, fuel and many other things so that, so that they can keep their strength up to come back to work for the wage that I am willing to give them. Now here is where gender becomes crucial. There are two aspects here. One is that women can be paid less for work. This may have to do with the fact that women, what women do is generally paid less. And also that women may have lesser bargaining power. This may also be because women are more likely to be uneducated. In any case, working class women can be paid less. And as a capitalist, this is ideal for me. So whatever work I can have women do for very little money, I will take that opportunity. The second aspect, meanwhile, is that the worker will go and buy groceries with the wages that I give him. But those groceries need to be turned into a meal so that it can contribute to the keeping up his strength part. Food needs to be cooked, clothes need to be washed, beds need to be made. I suppose you see where I'm going with this. Who does this work? Mostly women. Women generally do housework, even today, and especially in India. Women are not really paid to do this work. No wages are really given. But without this housework, the capitalist cannot extract surplus value from the workers. So this sort of idea suggests that there is capitalism and there is patriarchy and both benefit from each other. That said, we have to look at another aspect of the place of women in the capitalist system. As slaves. Now, black women in the US have always worked outside the home more than their white counterparts. And in India, this is true for Dalit women as well. For the slave owner... The slave woman was a worker first, then incidentally a woman. In fact, the exploitation of their labor was pretty much equal to those of their male counterparts. If anything, the work they did was even more exploitative. For example, in mines in the US, black women pulled trams 
instead of the animals doing it because they were even cheaper to maintain than horses machines or men now this is somewhat true even today even though slavery as we typically know of has been abolished but slavery like conditions persist in india for instance women construction workers are given tasks that are more low skilled and physically grueling like digging clearing rubble carrying things on their heads and of course they are going to be paid less for this now the work that for example slaves did in the fields and for slave owners it was really of no value for them domestic labor was the only meaningful labor for the slave community within the family and community then what happened was the domestic labor was not simply the domain of women but of both men and women so really the hierarchy in terms of labor is different in different parts of society being expected to do a majority of housework is not a concern for all women and it uniquely affects a particular group so on the other hand exploitation of labor is a concern for a majority of women and in india particularly these differences of concerns is something that we need to be aware of now all of this explains why women are useful to the capitalist system and probably how they are also exploited by this system does it really explain the oppression of women because we also have to ask was there no oppression of women in societies which were not capitalistic of course this was not true we go back to marx again he writes that in maintaining the lives of workers there is also a historical and a moral element for instance it is this culture that maintains that women must do the housework and not men that women do not lead that they do not inherit and gail rubin puts it beautifully that they do not talk to god try to think of how true this is for hindu society as well who gets to speak of or to gods who gets to set the rules for what gods want who is even allowed in temples this is the morality of our times one more important part of keeping labor in check is to make sure that not only do my workers come back tomorrow but that the next generation also comes to work in my table factory so in this sense labor has to be reproduced over generations we should remember this as we move into the domain of the family since this is where reproduction is controlled now reproduction is controlled in many different ways for women this is not separate from how labor is treated in a capitalist system now before the civil war in the us there was there was some scope of it, of the abolition of the international slave trade which meant that slaves could no long, longer be exported from african countries to us or europe at this point black women became to be seen as being useful due to their fertility that they could be mothers but the high status awarded to mothers generally was not for black women for slave owners black women were simply like breeders their infant children could be sold from them like cows from a cow this is an explicit this is an explicit treatment of women for being used for their fertility which is clearly very insidious there are other ways more consensual ways to control reproduction now any society has always had many rules around sex gender children and really a part of this reason is that this maintains social hierarchy of many kinds patriarchy can be one such system simply put patriarchy is a system of society where the eldest male is the head of the family 
and descent occurs through the female line through the male line yeah the male line the latter part here means that you will be recognized through your father's lineage for example you will have your father's last name so this is one thing there can be many rules around which reproduction is set up you cannot marry outside your religion you cannot marry outside your caste all of these are rules set up to control procreation these rules by which we set up our families and relationships are our kinship patterns there is so much that anthropologists have studied regarding kinship it has to do with many things like incest cross cousin marriage terms of inheritance and descent forced intimacy and many other concepts really now levi strauss an anthropologist focused on gift exchange as a part of kinship marriages in fact are the most basic forms of gift exchange according to him and women are the most precious gifts now otherwise gift exchange is about reciprocity simply put that if i give you a gift of a certain value you should do the same but marriage or the gift or of ex- gift exchange of women is more about kinship it brings together parties as becoming families but this exchange of women is actually about an exchange of sexual rights to show that men have certain rights over their female relatives and that women do not have those rights over their male relatives we see that the family has some role to play in the oppression of women here as we started with that but how do we get from that to the economic inequalities between men and women now there has been a division of labor in society on on the basis of largely what is understood to be sex for example uh, you know how women are expected to do housework men are not but this division of labor is not the same across cultures in some cultures agriculture is a work of women and in some of men in some parts of the world women have been hunters and warriors and men are assigned child care tasks according to levi strauss the purpose of this division of labor is to produce the smallest viable economic unit which consists of a man and a woman so between the two of them they are able to sustain themselves then this division of labor considers taboo anything that is not like the heterosexual marriage so really the organization of society is dependent on three things and pay attention here gender compulsory heterosexuality and a control over female sexuality now sex and gender are not built not completely built on something that is entirely biological so with that thought gail rubin in 1975 argues that this kind of a difference between men and women always involves repression of feminine qualities in men and masculine qualities in women which are then constantly which which then constantly keeps alive this idea that there are only two genders and that they are in opposition to each other but more importantly both of them complete each other in some senses now there are many ways of looking at this binary and a lot of it happens within the family i would bring up here simon de beauvoir's famous sentence that one is not born but becomes a woman of course one can get behind this as a feminist it was very common sensical at the time the book was published in 1949 it was common sensical to believe that how women are is rooted in their biology and that it has very little to do with society which also means that it cannot be changed 
her seminal book the second sex gives us the vocabulary to look at femininity as something that is socially constructed and therefore then to reject this commonsensical idea here she is talking about men being the subject the primary individual and the woman is the other and also inferior in addition to this basically in a major part of the book she focuses on socialization of young girls of how they are taught as children to consider themselves secondary now you have to know that de beauvoir was kind of an existentialist a term that is very difficult to define and definitely not part of this episode but let's just say that for her ethically speaking individual freedom and choice should be very important for human existence so of course a question for her is to understand how can women attain fulfillment under these circumstances her understanding is that women tend to be happy being the other and this is why they are somewhat responsible for their own oppression of course she would not have denied that this may be because of the very few options available to women for fulfillment bua is also analyzing the issues in women's lives through a marxist perspective that there are social cultural and economic structures that frame their lives that said she still argues that the liberation of women is in their hands that individual women can and should break out of this structure and liberate themselves part of this exercise is to begin to view each other as free subjects and really this can be an ethical viewpoint for oppressed genders to adopt which tells us how to live our life life as individuals so really she is recommending that we have to free ourselves of what what are considered sex roles that men and women are supposed to live life in a particular way and derive happiness in that way women therefore need to reject the idea that family life and servitude towards men is the only way to fulfilling happiness among other things but again it's not quite that simple i'll go into more detail about that about the control of sexuality and family in the next episode until then i'll leave you with this quote from the second sex quote art literature and philosophy are attempts to found the world anew on human freedom that of the creator to foster such an aim one must first unequivocally posit oneself as freedom the restrictions that education and custom impose on a woman limit her grasp of the universe indeed for one to become a creator it is not enough to be cultivated that is to make going to shows and meeting people part of one's life culture must be apprehended through the free movement of transcendence the spirit with all its riches must project itself in an empty sky that is its to fill but if a thousand fine bonds tied to the earth its surge is broken the girl today can certainly go out alone stroll but i have already said how hostile the street is eyes everywhere hands waiting if she wanders absent mindedly her thoughts elsewhere if she lights a cigarette in a cafe if she goes to the cinema alone an unpleasant incident can quickly occur she must inspire respect by the way she dresses and behaves this concern rivets her to the ground and self at 18 t e lawrence went on a grand tour through france by bicycle 
a young girl would never be permitted to take on such an adventure yet such experiences have an inestimable impact this is how an individual in the hedonism of freedom and discovery learns to look at the entire world as his fief the girl may feel alone within the world she never stands up in front of it unique and sovereign